everyone, and welcome to Me, You, Us, a well-being podcast. It's another Well-Being Wednesday here at Consumers Energy, and I'm your host, Bill Krieger. Today, my guest is Representative Alyssa Slotkin, and she represents Michigan's 7th District. So, Representative Slotkin, if you'd introduce yourself, we'll get the conversation started. You bet. Hello, everybody. Um, I am the current representative uh, since you know 2019 of Michigan's 8th District, kind of Lansing to Rochester. I'm a former CIA officer and Pentagon official. Um, I did three tours in Iraq uh, as a CIA officer alongside the military. Um, I met my husband on my third tour in Iraq. He's a career army colonel and Apache pilot who was um, working for General Petraeus at the time. And I have two stepdaughters, both in service. One um, is a brand new army officer. She's with 101st right now. And the other one is a brand new physician for the VA. So we are um, service people. And uh, we're, we're happily doing that until I decided to run for office and do this crazy thing back in 2018. Well, excellent. And um, I want to talk about service because, you know, in looking at all of that, uh, I, that's that's quite a family history there. But I did dig a little bit deeper back into family history and found out that your family is responsible probably for the the one food that's my guilty pleasure anytime I go to a ball game, and that's ballpark franks. So. Yeah. Your family is really deeply entrenched in Michigan. You've you've been here for a while. Yeah, I'm I'm a third generation Michigander, um, and my great grandfather, when he immigrated to this country, he um, worked his way up through a slaughterhouse and a, a, a being a traveling salesman of meat, and then saved up enough money to start his own little company, which became High Grade Foods, and was headquartered in downtown Detroit in the '50s and from from the '50s on. And we got the first contract to sell hot dogs at Tiger Stadium um, because we figured out how to make a hot dog that wouldn't shrivel after three hours in the steam. And it was so popular and became such a, a, a hit with people who came to the ballpark that we turned it into the ballpark Frank as a as a you know a brand. Uh, and then you know ultimately sold the company years later. But Yes, we are hot dog people and my entire family, my dad, his brothers, his cousins, everybody was in the family meat business. Yes. And if, if you somehow didn't grow up sometime in the 70s or 80s, uh, you're absolutely right because they do plump when you cook them, I think is, uh, is, the, exactly. is the phrase exactly. there. But uh, yeah, so, um, you know, I wanted you to come on today because uh, as a military veteran myself, uh, sometimes I have this blind spot when I think about service to the country and um, service to our, our our fellow man. And, um, you know, I started thinking, I, I looked at, at the service that you've done, not just in your service for the CIA and your tours of duty, but also the service that you continue to do as a member of the House Armed Services Committee, the Homeland Security Committee. And uh, 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 something that's near and dear to my heart is the Veterans Affairs Committee. Um, so I want to talk about this concept of service, but, um, you know, I don't know how much you can talk about uh, what your service was like uh, uh, as a CIA officer, but serving um, in Iraq uh, in that in that area um, with our, you know, with our soldiers and airmen. Um, what was that like for you there? Well, you know, I, I'm what's called a 9-11 baby, right? I was um, uh, in my early 20s. I was on my second day of grad school in New York City when 9-11 happened, and it completely changed my life. And I meet, I know so many people around my age who, um, you know, that was kind of this existential moment for them was 9-11 when we were attacked. 
And I got recruited um, by the CIA within the, the that year. And then a year after starting at Langley, I was off on, on my first of three tours in Iraq. Um, I was brought in as a terrorism and militia expert and in particular had a specialty in Iraqi groups, Iraqi militias and terrorist groups. Um, and so I was sent over originally, um, you know, went to weapons training and defensive driving and combat medicine and was sent to travel alongside the military, helping them understand the groups that were shooting at U.S. forces and plotting against the homeland, right? So, you know, um, I am always reticent to, to reference Hollywood, but um, our, my job was to understand in detail these groups. So who are their leaders? How'd they get their money? How'd they get their weapons? How'd they communicate? Where were they based? What was their organizational structure like? Um, and we would um, help the military understand these groups and go after them, basically. So um, uh, I did that, um, uh, certainly as a big part of my work. I also, um, on one of my tours, um, through sort of a, a coincidence, ended up becoming the intelligence briefer for the ambassador and the commanding general. That was General Casey at the time and Ambassador John Negroponte. Um, so I would wake up at 2.33 in the morning walk from one end of the green zone to the other, um, read all the classified traffic, the top secret traffic that came in overnight, and then go and see um, uh, the two senior most American officials in country, you know, in Saddam Hussein's palace um, at, you know, 6, 6.30 and brief them on the, the classified um, information that had come in overnight. So, um, I did that and a bunch of other things on different tours, but, um, all of it was basically um, taking an expertise and a deep um, sort of um, background on these groups and helping other agencies, other you know military units understand these groups. So I would I would venture a guess that as a as a commander in northern Iraq in two thousand six two thousand seven we probably greatly benefited from some of the work that you did. Um, I remember some of the briefings that we would get, uh, and it sounds like some of that information that you were probably putting together. So, uh, yeah, thank you for that. It was very, very yeah, helpful. I mean, you know, it's, it, look, it was a, it was a um, you know, a formative time in my professional career, that's for sure. And actually, the thing I think, one of the things that's most valuable for me looking back on it, because it's not like it was an, you know, a, an easy time. It wasn't like, um, as Americans, we were there and everything was just hunky dory. It was a very dangerous time. Uh, you know, I was there in 04, 06 and 08. Um, and, um, but I do think that different government agencies work exceptionally well in the field together. Sometimes they argue and they bicker in Washington, but when you're in the field and it's about the mission, you know, it is one team, one fight. And, I think it was very important that as a young adult, I was able to experience that sitting next to the FBI in the hostage working group, sitting next to our uniformed military and understanding their perspective on things um, and that camaraderie that comes from um, teamwork. And um, I, that to me is a very important lesson that I, I try to carry with me in Congress um, where you know I tell people all the time when I was in Iraq, I mean, I would work 15 years next to somebody and never know how they voted, never know their political affiliation. In fact, as you know, it's like taboo to ask, right? I mean, uh -huh. I wouldn't even think to ask. 
And so I, I think the, um, that's extremely important experience that I try to bring into what is obviously a very political environment of the U.S. Congress. And just remember, like, it is about one team here, um, whether we feel that way in our country at this moment or not. So we talk about one team, one fight. And, uh, you know, I couldn't agree more that I've, I've got I've developed friendships with my entire military career. Uh, that will last the rest of my life, as I'm sure you have. And I know we have a limited amount of time, so I really want to ask also, um, you know, what attracted you to um, serve uh, in Congress and in politics? Because, you know, I think as you alluded to, it's not that easy uh, these days um, to do that and to really try and get that one team, one fight uh, idea across. So what attracted you to want to serve? Well, you know, I was, I would describe myself as almost apolitical um, for, for many, many years. Um, and um, I worked in the Bush White House and I was there the Friday that he left office. And I was there the Tuesday that Barack Obama walked in and I did the same job as a civil servant for two very different presidents, proudly, right? Proudly. Um, what changed for me was the tone and tenor of the 2016 presidential campaign. Um, and and just this feeling like I'd worked for Republicans, I'd worked for Democrats, and it just felt different. The tone and the divisiveness and the the sort of turning Americans against each other as a strategy um, felt very different. And um, so, um, you know, I had got I was at the at the Pentagon at that point. I had um, gotten senior enough that I was an Assistant Secretary of Defense, um, and. Um, so I left the Pentagon when President Trump was sworn in. I was senior enough that I was kind of like, you know, it's normal um, to leave these positions um, when a new president comes in. Came home to Michigan, trying to figure out where to interview and what to do, um, and just started getting more interested in politics and Googling, like, who represents me here and what are their views? And that was the first time I started to think about things. And I think that's why I got in, but why I stay in is because I really think the country is going through something. We're going through a difficult moment in American history right now. And we will get through it. I believe that. I am not a pessimist. Um, I believe in this country. And we have had really hard moments in our past. And we always get through it. And we get through it with engaged citizens and principled leaders. Um, and I feel like my job right now is to do the best I can do to be one of those principled leaders um, in this particularly difficult moment in American history. Well, and you know, I appreciate that you say that because if you look at American history, I think that we forget that even right from the beginning, we we had struggles, especially in the political arena. I mean, it's it's polarized now, but it's been polarized in the past as well. And we've always come through, uh, and we've always come together um, and, and done the right things as a country. So I really uh, appreciate that thought. Yeah, I've been reading a lot of uh, the historian John Meacham, um, who um, and he has a great podcast called Hope Through History. And it's literally about how, you know, right when we look back on things like the Civil War or the Great Depression, World War II, it seems inevitable that it all worked out and we came through it. Right. Um, but people, average person at that time and during those moments felt desperate that maybe the America they knew wasn't going to be the America for their kids and grandkids. And I think that's how people feel now in many ways. And so um, I, I commend sort of reading history in order to feel a little bit better about our country. 
No, absolutely. And, you know, um, I think a, a turning point for me was reading the book Team of Rivals uh, in, in how it illustrated that Abraham Lincoln took his rivals and made them his cabinet, essentially, right? He took all the people he was fighting against and brought them together to help make those decisions. And yeah. uh, I think it's a lesson we could we could take with us. Um, you know, I, do, I don't want to leave before we talk a little bit about uh, your um, work with the Veterans Affairs Committee. Yeah. And um, I know the PAC Act has just been recently yeah. signed. And can you talk a little bit about, about the work that, that's been done and maybe some things that are coming up for veterans? Sure. Well, the work that we did was basically a landmark piece of toxic exposure legislation for veterans. And it was really, um, for me, uh, a labor of love because, you know, um, one, you know, my my husband, my stepdaughter, my family, um, but that sort of 9-11 generation veteran. Um, and for the 9-11 era, um, burn pits are really the Agent Orange of our generation, right? This thing that we all live near in a combat zone, whether you're in Somalia or Syria or Iraq or Afghanistan, you live near a burn pit. We burn all of our waste, all of it, when we're in a combat zone. And now we have, you know, people showing up with these weird cancers and, and conditions. So we think another 3.5 million veterans are going to get access to veteran care because it presupposes that if you have one of those 23 conditions, that it's service connected. You got it through your service to the country. So I encourage anyone listening who's a veteran who may not have qualified for VA care to just go Google those 23 conditions. And if you have one of them, go walk into your the VA in Detroit or Ann Arbor or in Lansing, and they are now trained um, to say, okay, that's service connected. And now we're, we're, we want to give you some tests. We want to get you into the system. So that was a labor of love. And, um, you know, it took about two years start to finish to get that done, but I'm pretty proud of that one and deeply bipartisan. Um, and then in terms of what's coming up, we just last week sent a new veterans bill that I've been working on again for two years called the solid start act. Um, which basically it's on its way to the president's desk to be signed. It basically says that veterans have no idea what services and, you know, things they qualify for from job placement assistance to healthcare to, you know, cheaper rates on fun stuff to like, they have no idea. And that first year of separation um, is a chaotic year. You know, when you leave the military, it's like your whole life is upended. Um, we, we, so what we said is, the VA is now mandated to reach out three separate times to every veteran in that first year of separation to introduce them to the family of services they now qualify for. Um, and so that you're not just getting it in the two days before you separate when you're like thinking about where am I moving and how am I packing and all that kind of stuff. We also know that suicide rates for veterans spike in that first year of separation. It's really dramatic. And we know that when you're not connected to the VA or any of those, those mental health services, the risk of a successful suicide attempt goes way up. So um, it just is a good kind of, I don't want to say marketing bill, but it's it's a way to tell veterans what they already qualify for. So that's on its way to, to the president's desk. He'll sign it. And then for the you know millions of veterans who leave, um, they will get contacted at least three times. 
You know, that's really exciting because I can't tell you uh, when I first left the military, how difficult it really was. And the way I found out about things was by talking to my peers, right? And right. they, oh, well, did you know this is there? So it's great that that's out there to to help our veterans. Um, and so thank you so much for that and, and the work that, that your committee does. I know we are coming up on time, but before we go, um, I would just like to give you the opportunity to like, what would you like our audience to take away from our conversation today? Well, I mean, I think, I guess I think it would go back to that comment about getting through this difficult moment in our history. You know, we talked about principled leaders, but it's also about engaged citizens. And like in all of those tough moments, the average person who does not consider themselves political or activists or, you know, who just wants to like have things work out for them and their families, they did a little bit more than they were used to doing. You know, they got involved with community service. They ran for city council. They um, organized their block. It doesn't have to be, you know, saving the world with one fell swoop. It just has to be doing things that connect us to our communities again so that people see each other as human beings. And so I guess I would leave your your audience with like that challenge, um, uh, that call to action of what is that half an inch more that you can do to help our country repair itself? Because it won't happen unless we get engaged. Well, thank you so much for that. In engaged citizens and also treating each other like human beings, so important. Um, Representative Slotkin, thank you so much for coming on the podcast today. Um, I know our audience will take a lot away from this and uh, I understand how, how busy things get. So uh, be careful out there and, and good luck. Thanks so much for having me.